Hey y'all, this is Charlie. We are living, loving, laughing, and great. And we are also in part two of our Christmas special. Woohoo! <laughs> Amen. And you know what, my friends? We've got so much more goodness to talk about. We are just going to jump right back into the word. So we were going over John 3, 16 through 17 uh, in our last podcast, part one. If you haven't heard it yet, please go back and listen to that. And um, I am just going to share it one more time. I mean, it's John 3, 16 through 17. We can't hear it enough. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. My friends, today we are going to see this very gospel. I mean, John 3, 16 through 17 is the gospel in a nutshell, all right? This is why God did it. He loves us. This is what he did. He sent his one and only begotten son to save us for what? That we could have eternal life and live with him forever. And what's the consequences if we reject that, that we shall be condemned? But is that what God wanted? No, no, we're condemned already. Actually, it goes on to say in verse 18, because we're all living. We're born under the judgment. We're born under condemnation. Jesus is the way out. My friend, never think that it's like your life is going okay. Someone else's life is going okay. And then when you tell them about Jesus, now they have a choice. No, my friend, the moment you're born, you're born under judgment. You're born under condemnation. You're on a one-way train to hell. Then we hear about Jesus, and now we have an option to get off that train and get on the train going the other way. Amen? That is the reality. That is the truth. It, it doesn't matter whether we like it or not. We're born to a whole lot of things that we didn't get to choose. There was a whole lot of choices made for you before you were even born. Think of that. Thousands of choices made for you before you even have your first memory. My friend, that's why we want to come to the Lord and tell him, Abba, you heal me like you know I need to be healed. You put me back together like you know I need to be put back together. We, we never want to come to God thinking we know what in us is broken and what's doing okay. Because the thing is, my friends, none of us know what we were meant to be before we were already broken. But the Lord does. He's the one that created us. And he creates in perfection. He creates imperfection. And when we allow him, we just come to him openly and say, Lord, I don't understand how broken I am. I want, I want you to do in me what you want to do in me. And then he goes to work, my friend. And can I tell you something? You will never be more of yourself than when we let the Lord work in us. He created you uniquely. He created you as an individual. And he knows what will fulfill you the most. Amen. Amen. So John 3:16, we are going to see the same gospel in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I told you that last time and we're going to jump into it. Did you know I, the genealogies are exciting? Did you know all these genealogies in the Bible weren't here just to help you sleep good at night? <laughs> I don't know. If you're like me, when I was a kid, I would read the genealogies to help me fall asleep at night because I didn't know better then. <laughs> You know, I don't trace my own genealogy back. So it's the sense of looking at all these names of people that I can't even pronounce. Oh, my friends, we learn so much from the genealogies in the Bible. First of all, try looking at the meanings of all those names, right? That in itself is beautiful. The first one we see where we see the genealogy of Adam all the way down to Noah. Do you know what we find 
and there, my friends, that God told the world, I mean, the world had become so incredibly wicked, okay? And God warned the people, warned the people, warned the people. And my friends, they're not affecting God. God is successful. God is prosperous. God is young and healthy and strong and living in heaven. When we are wicked, we hurt ourselves. That's why the Lord sends uh, his people to warn us and to, to bring us back to save us from ourselves and our own destruction. And you know what we find when we read the genealogy? God told the people that after Methuselah died, he would flood the world. You want to know how patient God is? Read the genealogies and see who was the longest living man before the flood. Spoiler alert, it was Methuselah. No one lived as long as he did. That's God's grace and his mercy, my friends. And now we're going to go to another genealogy. In Matthew chapter 1, the way God himself, you know, God himself is the only one that could choose how to introduce himself before he was born. <laughs> okay, he's the only one that could choose where to be born and whose womb to be born from. None of us had a choice. You didn't get to choose your parents. You didn't get to choose where you were born, whether you were born in a palace or a stable. That wasn't up to you, but it was up to God. And he chose to be born among the poor of the poor. When the very palace that Herod was sitting in was his birthright. Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let me ask you something. Who came first, Abraham or David? Abraham did. Why does it start off with David? I'll tell you why. My friends, you know, each gospel portrays Jesus in a different light. And it takes all four of them for us to try and grasp an understanding of his perfections and his completeness. Matthew is written to the Jews about the king of the Jews. And so it begins with the genealogy of the son of David because it is to David that the kingdom was promised. So we see even in Christ's natural genealogy, he had a right to the throne. Then it says the son of Abraham. Why? Because to Abraham was promised the land. Not much point being a king if you have no land to go with it, right? So we see from Matthew the perspective, the, the portrayal of Jesus as a king. You know, in Luke's account, we have another genealogy and it goes all the way back to Adam. Why? Because in Luke, we see Jesus as the son of man. So see, here it's established that he's the king because he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. In Luke, it's established that he came as 100% man because his genealogy can be traced all the way back to Adam. In Mark, there is no genealogy, none at all. Why not? Because in Mark, Jesus is portrayed, we see him as the, as the suffering servant as the persevering servant, as the servant always working and working and laboring and laboring. And do you need to know the pedigree of a servant? No, you don't. When Joseph was sold as a slave, did anyone care where he came from? No, nobody cares where a slave comes from, my friends. And Jesus came to serve us. So in Mark, we see no genealogy at all. In John, the gospel of John, we also don't see a genealogy. Why? Because in John's gospel, we see Jesus as the son of God. There is no genealogy 
for the Son of God. <laughs> Amen, my friends. Who knew we could learn so much from genealogies? Well, God did. <laughs> Amen. So we see the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And now it's going to go on to actually break it down. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadad, Abinadad begot Nishan, Nishan begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Whoa, wait a minute. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Has it mentioned any other wives yet? Well, actually it has. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you caught it or not, because it would be hard to catch just listening. But my friends, here we go. Listen to this. I want to share this Proverbs with you. Proverbs 25.2 tells us, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. God loves to hide goodies for us. It's to his glory. You're the kings, my friends. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says you've become, you've been made a king. We, that's why we have the authority where we can just speak. Kings speak and things get done, right? Servants do. Kings speak. You are a king now. Speak using the name of Jesus and use your authority. So it says it's our glory to search out a matter. When I'm reading this and I see all these begots and begots and begots, does it tell us anything about any of these people? No, it just tells us who begot who. Until we get to David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, how many of you, I heard a few of you, know who had been the wife of Uriah? Bathsheba. Bathsheba and David committed adultery. Not only did they commit adultery, after they committed adultery, David had Uriah killed so he could take his wife. Uriah had been one of David's best friends. Wow. How many of you knew that? Okay, I know some of you that did. But do you ever really stop and think about that? David had his best friend, one of his best friends and most loyal friends who had been off fighting a war for him, killed because he slept with his wife and he wanted to keep his wife. And God, right here in the genealogy of his son, makes sure we don't forget it. He, he has it written right here for us. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So when I read this, I ask myself, Lord, so I'll go ahead and tell you, in the rest of the genealogy, we don't see anything like that. And in fact, until you get to marry, you don't hear about any more women because it is not the norm to include the women in the genealogy like this, especially in this culture, in this time, it was always this man begot this son, this man, this son, this man. You notice no daughters have been listed because they don't record the wives. That, that was just part of the culture. But here God makes sure this one is. You know why, my friends? It is his grace. This is the glory that we're going to dig out why God would record this. And then when I notice this, okay, 
There's got to be something special here that God mentions this. So wait a minute. He's also mentioned three other women at this point. So now I know this one has a shady past. What about the other three? What's their story? Why did God decide to list them? Because at first you might think, you know, he talks about Tamar. Why did Tamar get special notice? Why did she get to be listed in Jesus' genealogy when most other women didn't? And our natural inclination, I know mine was, was to think she must have done something really great, right? She must have been super Christian, right, to get to be listed here. I think we often think that of Mary, that that's why she got chosen to be uh, Jesus' mother. Spoiler alert, it's not. What about these other women listed here, Rahab and Ruth? Well, I know you know some of them, and and you know that, guess what? That's not the case with them either. Like I said, right in the genealogy of Christ, we see the gospel. Tamar and Judah have a very, <laughs> very colored history together. Judah is actually the father-in-law of Tamar. And what had happened was he had married her to his oldest son. And the Bible tell, it doesn't tell us what the oldest son did, just that he was exceedingly wicked and he died. Well, in their culture, if one brother dies and the other one hasn't been married yet, the next brother marries the bride so that they can have children in the name of the brother who died. So then Judah marries his secondborn to Tamar and he decided to take matters into his own hands. He married Tamar, but he didn't actually want to have children for his brother. So how do we say he would lay with her for the pleasure of it, but then did things to make sure they couldn't have children. And God said that was exceedingly wicked and that brother died. <laughs> so then Judah starts thinking there's something wrong with Tamar. Of course, right? It's got to be the woman's fault. <laughs> Actually, my friends, that started with Adam and Eve, right? After Adam ate of the apple that he, or the fruit, we don't know it was an apple, that he was told not to by God. Eve wasn't even there when they had that conversation. It was Adam's job to tell her. And when God said, what have you done? He said, the woman you gave me. Oh, and from the beginning, we see the blame game. And when God asked Eve what happened, she said, the serpent. So Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. Judah blames Tamar. So Judah has one more son that legally he should be marrying off to Tamar. But he's afraid now. He's like, there's something wrong with her. I don't want this son to die too. He's my last child. So he tells Tamar, you go back and live with your father. And when my youngest son is old enough to get married, you can, you two can get married. Well, he doesn't do it. Judah deceives Tamar. And um, one day it's told to Tamar that, hey, <laughs> your, your next husband is of age and um, your father-in-law hasn't given him to you. So you know what she does? Now she takes matters into her own hands. She dresses up like a prostitute. And Judah, he goes to this other town to do some business. He sees her, but she's wearing a veil and stuff because the Bible says that's how prostitutes used to wear, used to dress. That's how they were known as prostitutes. They would wear a veil across their face. And he goes and pays her for her services. And he pays her by giving her his rod, which in those days, my friends, uh, was personal and associated to you, giving her his ring of authority and his, and his cord of authority. And he said he'd bring her a payment later. Well, she took those things and left. And he sent a friend to pay her. He couldn't find her. So he says, forget it. Lo and behold, three months later, 
it's found out that Tamara is pregnant. Now remember, she, she knows she slept with her father-in-law, but he doesn't know he slept with his daughter-in-law. But he did lie to her and deceive her out of her next marriage. Isn't this crazy, my friend? <laughs> I mean, like, I am telling you, you do not need to watch Days of Our Lives. You can just open up the Bible and read about the Days of Our Lives, right? The real ones, way back in the beginning. It's all nuts. So this is in Genesis. Um, let me tell you where it's at. Genesis 37 and 38. So check this out. Judah finds out Tamar is pregnant. And you know what he does? He gets so angry. Now think about it. He's also a lustful man, right? He went and paid to be with a prostitute, which is against the law, the law of God. Adultery is adultery is adultery. But he finds out Tamar is pregnant and he says, bring her out here and burn her. Burn her. He wants her burned alive. My friends, you know what the penalty in God's law for adultery was? Stoning to death. And if you don't understand, stoning to death is actually uh, a much, much more uh, merciful way to die than being burned alive. So Judah, who knows the law, he's like so vengeful. He wants Tamar to be burned to death. So, of course, they bring her out and and she says, well, if you can tell me by who owns these articles and she brings the staff, the signet ring and the cord, you know, and, and she says, look, this is this is the man who got me pregnant. And of course, he recognizes his own stuff. And he's like, oh, wow. And she's like, you did not give me my husband. And he's like, you're right. She's more righteous than I am. You know, leave her alone. So now by God's eyes, they're married, but he never sleeps with her again. But she has two twins. And that's who we just read about. She gave birth to Perez and Zara. Wow, my friends, what a mess. And that's just one, right? What a mess from the very, we had Abraham begot Isaac, but we know Abraham wasn't perfect either, right? He had all kinds of issues. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zara by Tamar. I just shared with you what a messy situation that was. Paris begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Abimadad, Abimadad, Nashon, Nashon, uh, Salmon, and then listen, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. I don't even have to remind a lot of you who Rahab is. Rahab was the prostitute of Jericho. She was the prostitute of Jericho. And she was the same one, though, who hid the two Israelite spies and they said because she had done that for them, they would save her and her household, anyone who was in her home when they came after the city. And she was saved and actually married the captain, the captain of the forces. But she was a prostitute, my friends. So we see Tamar and Judah's messy situation. We see Rahab was a prostitute. What about Ruth? I think we all know Ruth was an honorable woman. She was an honorable woman. She was a faithful woman. She found grace in the Lord's eyes. But you know the problem with Ruth? She was a Moabitess. And by law, the Moabites, because of what they did to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, they were under the curse. And as a Moabite, you could not join with, uh, with the Israelites. So here we see, my friends, what are we seeing? We're seeing the gospel. We're seeing that in and of ourselves, none of us can qualify for the goodness of God. Out of these four examples, Ruth is the one who, who we would think, you know, she has the 
the best works she could boast about. But my friends, it doesn't matter because her bloodline was cursed. Even though she had no shortcomings in and of herself that were told about in the Bible, and she was very faithful, her bloodline was cursed. My friends, it always comes down to the blood. It always comes down to whose blood are you trusting in, your own or Jesus? And then we come from Ruth to David, the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So we know he's talking about Bathsheba, but the Lord doesn't say her name. And I'm going to tell you why he doesn't say her name. Because under the new covenant, you know, God does not recognize your sin anymore. We've said it last time uh, or recently in Hebrews 8, 12, my friends, Hebrews 8 has the new covenant for us. And it tells us, the Lord says, I will do this for you. I will be your God. I will put my laws in your heart, which means what, my friends? He's writing new desires on your hearts. It's no longer about a knowledge thing or a barter and trade thing. He's putting desires in your heart. He lists all these things. When he says he'll be our God, that means he's going to take care of us. He lists all these things he does for us. And then the last line of that contract, of that covenant, is verse 12, which tells us, it's basically, it's the verse, it's the clause that enacts. That brings about everything else. And this is it. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now, listen, my friends, God is righteous and being merciful to your unrighteousness. He is justified in saying, I will never remember your sin again. Why? Because he remembered every single one of your sins in the body of his son at the cross. Those sins were remembered, those sins were punished, those sins were judged, those sins were paid for. And so now God has the right to look at you and say, I see no sins on you. There's a difference in what we do and what God sees on us. Yes, sometimes we still fail, we still do sins, but God no longer sees those sins on you and he doesn't deal with you according to your sin. He deals with you according to your righteousness that you have in Christ Jesus. And we see that, my friends, right here in this genealogy, because what happened here? God, he, he tells us that there's this woman who had been the wife of Uriah, but he doesn't tell us her name because God will not recognize your sin on you anymore. But at the same time, I believe he wanted us to see he was hiding something. He wanted us to know that there was something for us to dig out. So somewhere in the genealogy, he has to give us a clue. These people aren't perfect. He's saying these people aren't perfect. Look harder. So we see, okay, he mentioned with, with this one that there's a, an issue here. So then we go back and look at the other women because that's how he chose to bring it about. The men have just as much going on, right? But this is how he, he chooses to reveal it to us. But look at this, my friends. So when he lists the sin, he didn't list the name that went with that sin. When he lists the names, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, he did not list the sin, right? He listed the name, but you have to go back to the Old Testament to find out the sin, the disqualification, the curse, because under the new come, can you hear this, my friends? Do you get what I'm saying? That this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that God never, ever sees your sin on you again. It has been so perfectly removed. He won't even in the new covenant put the two of them back together again. 
He calls out their names. Or he calls out this thing because, yes, it's something that happened and he wants us to learn from it. But he doesn't put it together with the name of the one who did it. You know, we see this also in Abraham. In Romans 4, 19 through 21, listen, it's talking about Abraham. And it says, remember, he's our father in the faith. He's our forefather. The, The Bible says that we have received salvation the way Abraham did, that he believed in God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. The same way we believe in God. And we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He took our sins. We get his righteousness. Romans 4, 19 through 21, it says, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. It's talking about the promise to Abraham that he would have a child. So this is talking about before Isaac came to being. It says, so it's telling us Abraham was already a hundred years old. My friends, Abraham lived after the flood. You know, another reason to look at genealogies, go back and look at the genealogy of Abraham and you will find that most men were bearing children in their 30s, which means the women were in their 20s. I hear people all the time try to say, well, people lived to a different age back then, not in Abraham's age, because he lived after the flood when men's lives had been limited. Things changed. So it says he did not consider his own body already dead. So in the natural, it was dead. In the natural, he could not have children anymore since he was about 100 years old, and the dentist of Sarah's womb, which was always dead, she was never able to have children. He did not waver, listen to this, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Wow, Abraham's the man. A hundred years old, and he does not doubt that he's going to have a child. That's what that just told us. It says he did not waver in unbelief. Go to Genesis, I believe it's 16. When God comes to Abraham and tells him he's going to have a child, Abraham falls down on his face laughing in disbelief. He fell on his face laughing in disbelief. And he asks God, at this point, he's already had the affair with Hagar, who brought forth Ishmael, who brought forth a lot of the trouble we still see in the world today, my friends. When we try to do things our own way, it's why we hold out for God's best. Hold out for God's best. Don't settle for less. And you know what, my friends? We are going to have to stop right there. I know it's so hard to do, uh, but um, yeah, I've got to let you go. So make sure that you come back so that we can finish this together and uh, just enjoy this amazing Christmas word that the Lord has for us, my friends. Uh, I do hope that it has brought you joy and peace and that you are just feeling strengthened in the Father's love for you and know how precious and very valuable you are to him, my friends. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and grant you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, y'all. Till next time, keep on living, loving, laughing in grace.